Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. The San Francisco 49ers are in the Super Bowl. It's official, folks. We can dream about it. We can say it. It has happened. The 49ers have defeated the Green Bay Packers in the, in the NFC Championship game in resounding fashion. And, oh, man, I refuse to let myself think about it until now. But 11 stats, here we are. The Niners are in the Super Bowl. Yeah, they held serve. It's exactly what a lot of Niner fans were expecting in the game. The media was trying to make it seem much more like a toss-up game and Oh, Aaron Rodgers is so great. He didn't look like that great quarterback all season for a reason. He's not at that level anymore. He's not Drew Brees. He's not Tom Brady, where he remained great into his 40s. I think Aaron Rodgers is still a very good quarterback, but he's not that otherworldly quarterback. He's not the guy the Niners are going to be facing in the Super Bowl who can single-handedly flip a game. Let me just say, in four quarters of first halves, 49ers-Packers this year, 49ers 50, Packers 0. That was a beatdown, and it has been two straight weeks in the playoffs for these 49ers where you barely had to break a sweat. They've never trailed for a minute in the postseason. This was a dominating win by San Francisco. It was, and I just... Look, we know that it's the Kansas City Chiefs from the other side, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but the 49ers... They look like the best team in the NFL right now. They look like the best team in the playoffs. When they beat the Vikings last week, we were like, okay, like Jimmy didn't really have to do much. They didn't have to throw the ball or anything like that. Like he he only attempted 19 passes and the running game was going. And we thought to ourselves, like, Green Bay is going to adjust to that, right? For sure. Like they're going to adjust. And then Mostert rips off the first long touchdown run, by the way, which is a great play call by Kyle Shanahan. Green Bay brought the blitz and it was just a draw play, like a blitz beater to Mostert and he just outran everybody. He's, he's the fastest guy on the team and he showed it and they, they went up 7 nothing. I'm like, okay, maybe they'll adjust now. Then he has a second touchdown run. I'm like, okay, maybe they'll adjust now. Then he has the third touchdown run. I'm like, they're not going to adjust, are they? And then he has finally he has the fourth touchdown run. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you didn't expect that the Niners are going to do this coming into this. Like, the Niners put on an absolute zone-blocking clinic there with the offensive line. And, I mean, the fact that They've hit this level of cohesion on, with that unit at this point of the season going into literally the biggest game of the year is, is really, really unbelievable with me. Yeah, and it shows the, the level that Kyle Shanahan is at because he was able to continually run yet give them new looks. This wasn't a case like you saw in the other game, the other championship, where Tennessee was trying to run the same run plays because they don't have as many. And they were running the same same thing, and Kansas City was able to adjust because Tennessee found success early in the game. Then they adjusted, and Tennessee didn't have anything else. That's all they had. They, they had the same runs, and they weren't working once Kansas City adjusted. You don't see that with San Francisco because of Kyle Shanahan. He is limitless. I would bet that if he had to, he would create or change something in his playbook in the middle of the game and say, hey, Next time we run this, instead of you blocking this way, we're going to block that way. And I was watching some of the breakdowns um, of the game, and that's exactly what he was doing in terms of the runs. He would line up in the exact same way, 
yet he would change the assignments of the blockers. So instead of Kittle going up and getting the linebacker, he would go over and get the last defensive lineman, and Juice would go up and get the linebacker. And then the next time they run the play, it's the same play. Everybody's lined up the same, but they would flip who they're blocking, or the guard would pull and hit a different guy to block. You know, It was just blocking scheme changes so that the defenders never knew who was about to hit them. It was, I mean, look, in my lifetime, I'm 35 years old now, so Bill Walsh was a little before my time. It was the best offensive performance by a 49ers head coach I've ever seen. It was just incredible. You know, every every defense goes into a game saying, we have to make the other team one-dimensional. Well, the 49ers were completely one-dimensional on Sunday, and it did not matter at all. Jimmy Garoppolo was 6 of 8 for 77 yards. He didn't throw a pass. I think he went like a, literally an hour and a half of actual time between passes. It was just unbelievable. He didn't throw a single pass in the third quarter, and they didn't need to. They were still going down the field and getting touchdowns. It wasn't like, oh, we're trying to salt the game away by just running the ball. It was No, this is a, a legitimate offense. I think they were gaining at one point like seven yards per rush. It was as demoralizing for a defense as I can ever imagine. And to me, you could sell by the Packers they were deflated by the whole thing. They just couldn't believe it. It took the heart right out of them. Yeah, and you, you saw Jimmy actually explained it pretty well. It wasn't an in-depth explanation, so I think it got a little bit ov- overlooked. But in his post-game press conference, he said that last time they played Green Bay, they hit them with big chunk plays in the passing game. They got some deep passes off on them. And Green Bay came into this game and decided we're not going to give them those chunk pass plays. So they lined up playing deep to stop those long pass plays, and they never came out of it. And they Even, gave up chunk run plays. Exactly. They said, mm-hmm. hey, you're not going to burn us deep. And Kyle Shannon said, that's fine. We'll <laughs> just get five to ten yards every single play, and we'll methodically move down and score. And Green Bay never came out of that because they were so worried that if we don't play deep, they're going to run play action and burn us for a long touchdown. And it was kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it's hilarious because you got to think Kyle Shanahan was laughing on the inside because he was doing it to his former head coach. Mm-hmm. The guy he was an offensive coordinator under. So he knew probably damn well what was going through uh, Petten's mind, knowing that I can't change because if I change, he's just going to beat me with a pass play. Also stats, uh, Jimmy did put up a rating of 104.7. So those, those <laughs> six completions there... Man, that's that's a solid performance, right? For half of a quarter, pretty much. You know, it's funny too. It's sort of turned now. I'm sort of enjoying the. Well, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo. There's gonna come a game. There's gonna come a time when he's gonna have to throw. Like maybe not. Like you know, Mm -hmm. we could win a Super Bowl, and Jimmy Garoppolo could throw. He could have another game in two weeks. You know, he's ten of twenty or ten of fifteen for 150 yards and two touchdowns, and the 49ers can win the Super Bowl. Like. I'm sort of enjoying that whole narrative now because it just it clearly doesn't matter, and it clearly doesn't matter to, to Shanahan or Garoppolo. So they ran the ball 47 times last week. We know that 47 for 185, and then have a run longer than 11 yards. So it's kind of like that death by a thousand paper cuts. This past Sunday was not anything like that. Like they ran they ran the ball 40 plus times again, 42 times. Uh, it was 45 minus the, the the three nails, so it's 42 um, for 285 yards. It's 6.8 a pop. And Raheem Mostert, who set a 49ers uh, franchise record for most rushing yards in the playoffs, finished the line of 29 carries, 220, 220 yards, and those four touchdowns, which is one shot of Ricky Waters' postseason record. 
And that's 7.6 yards a carry, guys. That's huge. They were breaking out big runs everywhere. And these were designed run plays. Like the third touchdown that Mostert had, he had Debo come in motion across the, across the line oh, to the left. And awesome. it was such a beautifully designed play where Debo was his lead blocker, and it worked to perfection. These are the things, like when, when the Niners take this to the Super Bowl, like when you're Andy Reid, look, they have the 29th ranked defense for DV, uh, run defense for, per, uh, against DVOA. And Green Bay was 23rd in that same t- t- statistic. So when we're looking at this, like, Kansas City can't really stop the run. And what they did against Derrick Henry, like that's not that's not the same type of run game the Niners run with. And so I gotta say this, since you mentioned Mostert, I grew up in West Lafayette, Indiana, which is where Purdue University is. So I gotta ah, say boiler oh. up. I gotta okay. say boiler up in this podcast because he is a boiler. That's right. where he went to school. So it's like extra special for me to to see a boiler doing it. I mean, it's the same school that Corey Sheets went to. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what it I, I, I've thought this multiple times throughout the season. It, it's like he's fulfilling what everybody hoped and thought Corey Sheets was going to be because Corey Sheets was that running back that for a couple of years in the preseason, he looked dominant. He had all this speed he, and he he looked so great and then he never really did anything. He actually went on to have a, a great CFL career, but you know that the legend of Corey Sheets has kind of lived on a little bit, especially in message board forums because of his preseason uh, greatness and Mostert's fulfilling that. I think they're actually quite similar players, which I find kind of funny. But he's Mostert is the updated version of the running back that fits the scheme because it used to be, you know, you saw Mike Shanahan running this run game, and all he looked for was a guy that made one cut and goes. But he always wanted a bigger back who does it. You're Mike Andersons, if you remember that guy. He wanted a guy with power who also did it. His son has realized that's not as important. You get the one cut and go guy who has elite track speed because that changes everything. What it does is it allows your offensive linemen to not have to sustain their blocks for as long. I saw one play broken down on Twitter this morning where it shows Staley basically doesn't even block the defensive end. He just kind of chips him quickly, and he just goes right to the linebacker on the second level because he knows all he needs to do is just delay that defensive end with that chip, and Mostert's going to be through the hole already. So Mostert's through the hole, and Staley's already at the second level blocking the linebacker. So that's how he's able to spring all these big runs. And I think that's the beauty of Shanahan's system is that he, he realizes the effect of that speed and what it allows your offensive lineman to do. And he utilizes it. And I think it's part of the reason why, even though they've had injuries on the offensive line this year, whether it was Staley or McGlinchey or even uh, Weston Richburg, it hasn't affected the run game because they're able to just block for just what they need to. And the running back speed kind of bails them out a little bit. And you could tell by the way Mostert runs that he is a track guy. I mean, he, he had a great track career. And, and you see that when you're watching the game because there, there's been plenty of times where. You're watching him, and I think he's about to be tackled. And the next thing I know, he just zooms right past the defender. The defender who had the angle doesn't get there in time. And it, it's a trait that you see from uh, elite track sprinters. You don't realize how fast they're going because their motion is so contained and there's no wasted movement by that elite track guy. So when he's moving, he doesn't seem to be moving as fast as he truly is. And it's almost every play that he breaks free that I see that happen where 
I think, oh, here's a five-yard gain. Next thing I know, he's got the corner, and he's going down the sideline, and it turns into a 20-yard gain. And that's a trait you see of track guys. And Levin, you touched on something earlier when you said that all week we heard about the media hyping Green Bay up, and Richard Sherman actually mentioned that in his press conference after the game as well, where the entire week you hear these talking heads from various networks and stations talking about how, oh, this is how Green Bay can win, or the Green Bay is going to win because they have Aaron Rodgers. Because he's Aaron Rodgers, he has magic left in him, and he's 36 years old. This may be his last chance, blah, 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 whatever. Max Kellerman and Mike Florio. And as you come to think of that stats, what do you think about that? Mike Florio, all the comment about Jimmy G and all this stuff. I mean, like, how do you feel about that? I mean, listen, I can't control what comes out of his mouth, all right? He's definitely not sold on Jimmy G, which some people aren't, whatever, that's fine. But what I think that Mike didn't pay enough attention to, and he sort of admitted this this morning, was the 49ers physically dominated them in the first matchup, and they physically dominated them Sunday. And Mike got caught up in a lot of sort of the minutia of what happened in the first matchup, a penalty here, a misplay there, which was all true. Those things did happen, but the rest of the game was just physical domination, and I'm surprised that he didn't notice that when he rewatched the game. But I mean, it, all I can say is at least he was man enough to admit it this morning that he was completely wrong. Yeah. Just, at least he can admit it, I guess. But I, uh, I did notice that he picked the Niners in the Super Bowl, and the way that he announced it on Twitter was, All right, Niners fans, I give in, or, or something to that degree. So <laughs> I do think. The Niner fans, especially on Twitter, have certainly adopted this uh, pulling receipts mantra because all season long it's been, well, they're 1-0, but they only beat Tampa. Well, they're 2-0, but they just beat up on a bad Cincinnati team. You know, all, all season long it's been a, yeah, their record says this, but. And so all season long, the fans have been this, okay, well, we won this game this week. Let's go on Twitter <laughs> and let's find the people that said they were going to lose and they're no good and just embarrass them and troll them and have thousands of people comment on them. And it's literally been all season long that this has been going on. And Florio fell into that with the, with the pick he made and the way in which he defended his pick. And I think that he, he purposely said that in response. You know, okay, Niner fans, you win. Yeah, it's just uh, Adam Rank and Ryan Clark and various other people that that have been basically uh, converted, I guess, if you will, to believers of the 49ers uh, by not only the play on the field, but the 49er faithful on Twitter, which is which has been really funny to watch from afar, right? Like it's it's just been one of those things where the entire fan base just unites on Twitter and just like attacks like a swarm of bees, and it's just it's really really funny to watch. But in all seriousness, I did from afar. I got to say that. <laughs> and it's not been a fun, a far because I've been jumping in that every single week. And I've seen both of you jump in at the times too. <laughs> I was hoping I was hoping to get my scot free on this. I was like, okay, maybe I can skirt by this. But like, yeah, I mean, it, if, on occasion, yeah, I, did, I have jumped in and, and uh, it, it has been, it's been nice to, to have the team back up all of our sentiments and stuff too. Cause you don't want to look like, look like a dummy and, and the team like ends up uh, not backing up what you're, what you're saying or not performing up to the, the standard that you set uh, with your, with the checks that you write with your mouth on Twitter, right. But, or, or your fingers on Twitter. But that being said, there was a lot of, there's a lot of like, Oh, Aaron Rodgers is going to pull it off because he's Aaron Rodgers this, this past week. And I did not hear one logical argument or statistic or matchup or anything that Green Bay could exploit that, that would actually be in their favor to help them win the game. I, all I heard is like, oh, he's Aaron Rodgers, so they're going to win. And 
to me, that was the the kind of final final nail in the coffin for my confidence level for the game. And and I really thought that once once we got through the end of the week and nobody really found anything, like Mina Kimes came on ESPN and she was like, okay, well, statistically these things happen. And she tried, but really like it's it's funny for all of the the redemption talk that Matt LaFleur had and and payback and Devontae Adams saying, Oh, it's gonna be different this time. It was actually worse than last time. The first half was yeah, that's different. Time. That is different. He wasn't wrong. <laughs> it was, but definitely was not wrong. And uh, guys, uh, Aaron Rodgers, he said he had a dream of leading the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Well, he definitely f- lived out his dream. He definitely helped the 49ers <laughs> get to the Super Bowl. I will, I will say that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like everything you've said is completely true. It was, it was a whooping. And I felt more confident going into this game than I did going into the Minnesota game. Because I think Minnesota has the better roster than Green Bay. So once they defeated Minnesota, I was like, oh, we got Green Bay. I was happy that Seattle was eliminated. Everything has lined up perfectly for the 49ers. I just, I wish Tennessee had found a way to beat Kansas City in the AFC. But up until this point, on the Niners side of the bracket, everything has gone exactly as you would hope as a Niner fan. Yeah, I think Green Bay is one of those teams that they're good, but not great. And they're good enough across the board that when they play mediocre to bad teams they're going to win as if they're a great team they're going to win almost every single time because Aaron Rodgers isn't going to make mistakes that defense has two speed rushers who can get to the quarterback but when they go up against a truly great team they are outclassed Aaron Rodgers is not going to be able to single-handedly beat a great team on offense they are essentially Devontae Adams Aaron Jones to me yeah, he scored a lot of touchdowns, but I don't think he's really all that great. I think he did a lot of what he did because defenses are keen on Rodgers. They don't want Rodgers to go off. And then defensively, they're kind of in that same boat where they're very good, but they're not great. So when they go up against a t- truly dominant defense like the Niners, they just can't hang. Yeah, there, there are holes all over that team. And Kyle Shanahan, so he was calling Nirvana at times where – everything he's calling is, is working and, and he has a proper sequence of calling things and he doesn't get away from what works this, at times this season. We've, we've been critical of him of, of for getting away from the run and throwing it too much and becoming too pass happy. But it seems like in the playoffs, it's been a totally different animal for the 49ers and specifically in the green Bay game, because when Jimmy wanted to throw it, it was there. Like he was picking up big chunk yards when he put the ball up in the air, like Debo at the beginning of the game had that long catch and run and Kittle uh, towards the, the, end of the game the fourth quarter had that key third down conversion to keep that last drive going before they were able to put the, the icing on the cake field goal up there but it seems like he's really dialed in and he has been dialed in for a number of weeks now probably the past two months i'd say and to me when you get a guy like that with his ability to design plays calling them at that level it's pretty hard to beat yeah, I think you could look at the Minnesota game and and see that Jimmy was not quite as sharp as he has been at other times this season. And I think it's fair to say he protected the Niners and Garoppolo from himself in that Minnesota game. He was running the ball because it was working, number one, but also number two because Jimmy was a little shaky. In this game against Green Bay, I don't think you can say that about Garoppolo. The running game was just so working so overwhelmingly well that there was just no reason to pass the ball. So I thought that was the difference between the two playoff games. I think I agree with you. Jimmy was making plays that were there to be made for sure. They just didn't need him. Now let me spin this into a different avenue, this not passing thing, because I think there's some credit that needs to be said. And I hadn't even thought about it, 
Because I, I know Kid won't be upset running the ball because he loves blocking. But how about somebody like Emmanuel Sanders? He's brought in to become the go-to receiver. He's a guy that's been to the Super Bowl with two other teams. He's a guy that's put up some big stats over his career. He could have come in, and I think a lot of receivers with his track record and career do, but he hasn't, and that's that they would have been upset coming in, and he had one total target in the game. In the the, the NFC Championship, a chance for him to show off on the big stage, he had one total target, and his team passed just eight times. How many wide receivers out there with his career and his skill set would be maybe not coming out and saying, I want the ball more because they won, but would certainly have been moody on the sidelines or been creating some type of drama to get the attention turned to them. And he didn't do it at all. Debo's not that way. He hasn't done it at all. And I think that's one of the key things to this team and why they keep talking about how cohesive this team is, is that they're not individuals. They're willing to sacrifice. And you see that in the position groups that tend to not be that way. And that would be the wide receivers. Not a, There's not been a, a one time this season that a wide receiver has complained about not getting enough targets or not getting the ball enough. And I think there needs to be some credit given out for that. And one of those guys that you speak of is Akilah Witherspoon, where he was not playing well, got benched for Emmanuel Mosley after the first drive of that Minnesota game. Mosley got the start on Sunday, played really well, had an interception. And Witherspoon asked for all of Mosley's snaps on special teams because he wanted to keep him fresh. He went up to the coaches and he's like, I want, I want his snaps. And that to me is, is a championship mentality that, that this team is, is exuding that is super unique. You don't see this every day. You don't see receivers being okay with that. Like we looked at, we look at like guys like uh, Stefan Diggs, who was fighting with his coaches when they were up against the Saints. And you see this stuff all the time where guys are demanding the ball. And it just, the Niners just aren't that type of team. Like they're just as happy running the ball 40 times and they are throwing it 40 times. And it's so unique. And, and I like to, I, I know it's different sports. And, and I know that uh, people who don't live in the Bay Area may not understand that the analogy, but the comparison, but I think the Niners are basically like the, tw- the 2015 Warriors, right? The Golden State Warriors of 2015, the fr- that first championship team they had. <laughs> so wow. they had a, a bunch of superstars on that team that were budding superstars on that team. And everybody was really happy with sharing the load, right? Remember Andre Iguodala was the, the finals MVP that year. They went up against LeBron James, uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, like a, a top heavy um, team on the other side with the superstars on their own. And the Warriors ended up winning that, that series, as we know and kicked off their, a little dynasty of their own, but they did it by being selfless because they didn't really care about the spotlight. They shared it and they didn't, it was any given guy on any given night that would get hot, that would carry that team. And I think that the Niners kind of have that same sort of mantra where it doesn't matter who it is. It just matters if they win. And Kevin Coleman was the guy last week. It was Raheem Mostert this week. I don't know who it's going to be in the Super Bowl, but to me, like it's just such a, such a refreshing way as you see sports, the guys getting paid tens of millions of dollars. They don't like sharing the ball. They don't like, they don't like sharing the spotlight. They like having the ball. They like being the man and the Niners don't have that same sort of mentality. And that's, I think why they've gone as far as they have part of part of why is they've gone as far as they have. All right. I'll let you have your warriors moment. Let, let that be the last time. Why did you scoff? Because I'm a Rockets fan. I don't care for this whole Warriors thing. I've been wanting to puke all leading up to the NFC Championship game when they were talking about the Warriors and 
Yeah, we t- we've taken a lot for him, and a lot of the Warriors players and Steve Kerr are talking about how much they're rooting for the Niners. And I was going, no, <laughs> go away. Stay away from my football. <laughs> well, let me say, you mentioned it's a different guy every week, Zane. The Westgate Super Bowl MVP odds are out. And, all right, we got Okay, first of all, it's ridiculous, but it makes – I mean, Patrick Mahomes is literally even money to win Super Bowl MVP, which is just unbelievable. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, seven to two. Mm-hmm. Raheem Mostert, eight to one. George Kittle, 16 to one. Those are the best odds for the Niners. Those are you the know top it's, three odds. You know, it's going to be somebody like Dwelly or something like that, right? Something that comes out of nowhere that, <laughs> yeah, like, I, say, <laughs> I mean, we could save that for next week when we preview the Super Bowl, but uh, I, I do think you're going to see a different Niners offense because Kansas City is going to be doing everything they can to stop the run, but we don't need to get into all, all that just yet. We can tease. Yeah, we can tease. We do have a preview show coming up next week for all of you guys to to listen to. All you guys and gals um, that uh, are, are waiting for it. So we will do one. We'll we'll break down the Super Bowl, the, the Chiefs and Niners, and and uh, have have a good show ready and uh, raring to go for you. But uh, back to back to this week in the Packers. Um, yeah, it's just I just love the fact that these guys are willing to share the spotlight. Like Jimmy doesn't care that he throws eight passes a game. He doesn't care that he's only attempted less than than 40 passes this entire playoffs it doesn't matter to him and he stated that this season several times where the defense has been had been carrying the team at times and and they asked him about it and he didn't care and i think that the the interesting thing about this season as we look back on how the niners got here is that they've kind of gone through different iterations of of types of teams right where the beginning of the year jimmy was trying to get his feet under him coming off the acl getting his his uh his bearings with kyle shahan's playbook it's a complicated playbook, by the way, for those that, that rip on Jimmy, not every quarterback can run this playbook. And that's what makes him so special is that he can do it. And he can do it at a high level at times. So the beginning of the year was basically the defense carrying the Niners for the first, I don't know, like seven or eight games. Then you hit that gauntlet, as they say. And when guys started going down, you lost starters, you lost impact players on defense and the offense had to carry the load. And Jimmy won several games on his own. He had several come from behind victories uh, he had four of them this year, I believe, uh, which was tied for the league lead. And towards the end of the year, it was like, okay, the offense is rolling. Now come playoff time, the defense gets all the guys back. All your stop troops are back healthy again. And that running game starts going. So now you're seeing a third different type of Niners team in one year. And as an opposing coach, I don't know, guys, isn't, wouldn't that just drive you nuts in terms of watching film? The Kyle Shanahan effect. It, it mm-hmm. truly is. It's a every week a defense can come in with a game plan and say, we're going to stop this. And they concentrate on something. And Shannon goes, okay, you're going to stop that. I'm going to go do this. It is something unique to him because most of your offensive coordinators in this league come in and say, this is what we do. Well, this is what I'm going to make sure we do. And they don't adjust to their opponent. Like I said before, you just saw that with Tennessee. Tennessee was still trying to run the ball, still trying to run the ball until they got down big. They just kept trying to run the ball when it came very clear in the second quarter. Kansas City was selling out to stop the run. They even showed it at one point, and uh, it was pointed out by the uh, by Tony Romo that look at what the Kansas City lined up in. It was something like a third and two or a third and three in the middle of the field. And Kansas City lined up in goal line line. defense. Yep, I remember that. I mean, think about that. Kyle Shanahan, if he had seen that, he would have said, okay, we're going deep. 
he would have mm-hmm. adjusted to that. He would have run maybe a short slant, something a little safer to make sure he gets the first down, but then has all that room to run. You don't see that from most offensive coordinators. They can't adjust to what the defense gives them. Now let's go to the defense. Cause I feel like we've, we've talked about the offense when they have their guys and they had everybody yesterday, this defense dominates, not mm-hmm. just is really good. Rex game plans offensively when Bosa's there and Quan's there and Ward and Tart and everybody, it's unbelievable. They took the only chance the Packers had to win, which was Aaron Rodgers. And I'm sorry, he looked, I don't want to say scared because that's not the right word. He, he was affected by the defense in that game, whether it was the strip, he, he didn't even really go after the ball after it was stripped out of his hands. Mm-hmm. There were times where he would drop back to pass and he wouldn't even look ready to throw the ball. He was completely out of sorts. And I think it's because of that defense who is playing exactly, they're playing very complimentary right now. Look, I, I don't have any 49er fan coworkers because I don't live in the Bay Area. I had a coworker come in and even he said he could see in the first quarter Aaron Rodgers checked out. He saw it in his eyes that Aaron Rodgers knew we're not winning this. We are not <laughs> on their level. He could see it in, in his eyes that from, from, I think it was the second drive, you know, he didn't get into the details of when he saw it. He just said in the first quarter, he saw in Aaron Rodgers' eyes that Aaron Rodgers didn't even believe they could win. And you saw that, like you said, on that uh, snap, he didn't even die for it. He just, like, mm-hmm. he did I, I went and rewatched it because I didn't think about it in the moment of the game. So I had to go back and rewatch it. And yeah, it's literally the snap goes and he just kind of backs up like, oh, where's, oh, well, it's too far from me. And he, he doesn't even, you know, he's not animated at all. It, it's like, yeah, it's like he had no care in the world. Like, oh, well, it happened. Here we go. I, I It's funny because I noticed that too. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask you guys, you guys about that on the air because like, you know, we didn't have a chance to really discuss over text, but when you have that effect on a guy like Aaron Rodgers, and you can demoralize a team to that point where their starting quarterback basically just gives up. I mean, to me, I, I think that that speaks such volumes to the talent of this defense and the fact that they feel like maybe they can beat anybody at this point. And when you're when you're dealing with a team like that, and specifically a defense like that, it becomes very difficult to beat them because it's it's about confidence, right? Like at the, at this point in the playoffs, like they're all capable teams now. They all have talent. It's all mental. It's mental and execution. And if they feel like they can beat anybody, then they become a really dangerous team. And for that reason, like that's why when I said the Niners, in my opinion, were the best team uh, in in the league and the best team obviously left in the playoffs, although there's only two teams left, I, I really meant it. And that's that's one of the reasons why is because they just seem like they're so far above everybody else right now. And the the play to me that stuck out that kind of set the tone was on Green Bay's, I believe it was their first drive of the game. And Dre Greenlaw was covering an out route. This is like a little out route. It was third and it was the 32, I believe. And the Packers were kind of moving the ball a little bit. They got a couple first downs there and strung together. And Dre Greenlaw made a hell of a play to uh, stop them from getting a first down. It was a timing play. Rodgers hit him with a quick throw uh, on an on an outcut. And Dre Greenlaw immediately hit him just like a yard short of the first, round, first down. And the Niners got the ball back. And they subsequently scored on that next drive and, and they were off to the races. But plays like that, when you force the other team to have to scrape for every inch and every yard and every first down, it makes their margin of error so razor thin and it makes them so tight that they basically, 
they crumble. And that's exactly what happened to Green Bay. They crumbled under the pressure that the 49ers were putting them under. And on that play you're talking about, Romo, I believe, even said Rodgers had Jimmy Graham open over the middle of the field. But I think part of that is when you get that pressure that the 49ers have gotten, and I'm sure Rodgers had memories of the first game in his head as well, you aren't seeing the field the same way. Your clock and your head is sped up, and sometimes it doesn't always result in sacks. Sometimes it results in Rodgers maybe going to the first open guy he happens to see, even if that's not the best guy to go to to get the first down. Right, and and Zane, you touched on this, and I think it's an underrated part of the Niners' defense. You know, a lot of attention goes to that defensive line, and deservedly so. A lot of attention goes to that secondary because they were the number one pass defense in the league this year in terms of yards allowed. But I think one of the keys to the defense is that linebacking core's speed. And I think it's an underrated thing, and I think it's something that John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, and I'm sure Salah, because it's defense, had a part in. They purposely targeted getting really fast linebackers, and I do think that's a huge difference because of plays like that out in the flat. They're able to fill gaps in their run game faster. They're able to get there before the blocker. They're able to stop those dump-offs before they can get to the first down. I mean, there's been countless plays this year where they dump it off to the running back, and I think, oh, great, he got an easy first down. He's going to get those five yards. And somebody like Greenlaw, somebody like Warner, somebody like Quan flies there like they're a DB and gets him before he can get to the first down. And that's an underrated part of this defense because I do think that is the key that ties the two ends together. That's the key that ties that defensive line to that secondary. It's the linebacking speed. It allows them to keep these linebackers on the field, even on passing downs. That's the biggest thing, right? Like when, especially with Green Bay, like they love going three wide receivers, right? When they went three wide receivers, like Quan stayed on the field because he's he's fast enough to cover these guys. So I think that when you have that versatility and that speed that you're talking about, and specifically that closing speed, is that you get you'll get maybe like the three yards that you get after you catch the ball, but you're not going to run with it. Like it's going to be three yards and bam, that's it. And I think that with the the vision that they had when they brought even Aziz Al Shair is a really fast linebacker. Like he filled in, he he has some wheels. So I think that whole vision is based around the fact that it's a passing. It's obviously a passing league now, right? And rather than getting a bunch of nickel corners and dime corners and putting those guys out there and, and being susceptible to being gashed by the run, they have linebackers who can cover. And you got better tacklers. You got bigger bodies. You got guys who can you can even blitz with too, right? Fred Warner and the few times that he's blitzed, he's been really effective. So they offer themselves that versatility by having, in my opinion, one of the best linebacking cores in the game. And to go along with that speed. They, one of the things I love about this team that I think has been really important is they are such good tacklers. So they fly to the ball. And even if the first guy is not making the tackle, the the receiver or the runner, the ball carrier doesn't get away from them to gain more yards. They get held up and then the team is so fast that they're immediately brought down by somebody else. That has been huge for this team. Even if it's if it's a DB in the open field, Sherman's made several open field tackles this year. I think he's the best maybe the second best defensive uh second best tackling defensive back of all time they are so good at wrapping guys up it again it just complements the rest of the skills that they bring to the table right and and to me it's kind of funny because you have super fast linebackers and that's clearly been a target and then what's the rest of the defense about it's about limiting the speed of the opposing team you got corners who play physical to throw off the timing and not allow those speed receivers to get going and 
just run by you. And then you got a defensive line that's all about getting to the quarterback. That speed rush off the edges with Boza and Ford is the key to that pass rush because it's what was missing in previous years from the Niners defense. So it's kind of funny because in the middle of the defense, you have a linebacking core that's all about speed. And then on the other two ends, it's all about limiting the speed of the opposing team. Yeah, and... Speaking of limiting big gains and things like that, Sherman finally got beat, guys. We've been talking about it all season where he gives up a cushion and, and we're like, okay, he's going to get beat at some point. He missed Devontae Adams on the jam uh, late in the game. And he, Devontae Adams was not very fast himself, just ran right by him. And I was like, man. So that's one of the things that we'll talk about next week that kind of concerns me with Tyreek Hill. But that was the, the biggest play of the game. It was 60 yards plus. And, and Sherman said you know, he, he was asleep at the wheel on that play and, and his technique was, was, was off. He got turned around. His footwork was off. And he knows that. Uh, and and he'll probably correct it for the next week. But that was really the only play. There's that Jimmy Graham play where Quan got beat, where I feel like Tart should have filled that hole, and he was a little bit late getting there. But I think that other than that, did he, the defense played a really good game, and and Rogers racked up over over 300 yards passing. But that all of that was basically in garbage time, which AKA the second half, because the game was out of reach by by the end of the first half. And I think that. To, to me, like it's almost better that they scored a couple of touchdowns because the defense plays much better when they have a chip on their shoulder and they have they know that they can improve on that. And going into the Super Bowl, like they they know that they they kind of let them back in the game, and I think that that's a good thing because they'll keep them on their toes going into the biggest game of the year. Uh, Rogers, you know, he he's not what he was, but he's still really good. And like I think the throw to Jimmy Graham where he held the safety there with his eye, like he's still capable of making those great plays. Just the fact that, like you said that's one of two plays in the game that stood out to you because it's basically the only big plays Green Bay had, I think mm-hmm. was more of a credit to the to the Niners' defense than it is to Aaron Rodgers. All right, I think we finally hit the point where it makes sense to bring this up because you're talking about Sherman and how he got beat. I want to go ahead and preemptively thank Dale Rivas for motivating <laughs> Sherman and giving him all the motivation he needs for the Super Bowl because what he did on Twitter... It's such haterade, and I find it hilarious because he immediately responded that, hey, I'm not trying to detract from him. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, you are. You literally must have been sitting all game long waiting on him to get beat so that you could post that because it was posted right after that Devontae Adams <laughs> long long uh, catch. It wasn't after the game or anything like that. It was Darryl Rivas because, let's be honest, in terms of mm-hmm. this generation, wherever you want to define it, I think the game kind of changed in the late 2000s, at 2007, 2008 range. It went, the league went pass happy. If you're talking about the era from then to now, there's really only two players that have an argument for the best corner of this era. That's Daryl Rivas, whose peak is as high as anybody's, but did fall off relatively quickly, as Sherman pointed out, that his year nine looked a little different. And it's Richard Sherman. Those are the two that are in this debate, and I do think that was the motivating factor behind Revis's post is he wants to try to make it a point of, hey, I'm still the best one. I'm the one that ran around and followed receivers and was a true shutdown corner. But <laughs> it, it just makes me laugh because it's so much haterade. And I, I saw somebody post this on Twitter, and I forgot to memorize the name, but it, it made me laugh because it points out so much how ridiculous Revis's take is, but it was imagine the greatest cover three corner playing a lot of cover three. <laughs> like, of course, that's what Sherman's going to play. He's the greatest cover three corner of all time because it's a relatively new scheme and he's perfected it. 
So of course the Niners are going to run it. That doesn't take away from his greatness. Yeah, and I think uh, the I think it was Sherman who pointed it out, or somebody pointed it out. You know, a great left tackle stays at left tackle. He doesn't move all around on the offensive line, even though they might move the pass rusher against him around. The left tackle stays at left tackle, and that's what Richard Sherman's doing. And you know, I think that there's it's football. The different schemes matter. There's room for a guy like Darrell Revis who can go around and cover the number one receiver no matter where he goes in the field. And there's room for Richard Sherman who literally takes away a third of the field. Uh, you can do both. It doesn't mean one has to be better than the other, but I agree. It is complete, complete haterade by Darrell Revis to say he's not trying to disparage Richard Sherman because that's the only thing he's doing. And if it was so easy, why aren't more doing it? That's, that's the part that Drives me crazy. If it was so easy, and if Sherman's only as great as he is because he's running this cover three and he's not a true man-to-man defender, why isn't everybody else doing it? Yeah, I I saw this, and it's just such a bad look. It's just a bad look. Like This guy's going to the Super Bowl. He had the game-clinching interception. By the way, six years to the day after Richard Sherman broke the hearts of Niners fans with that tip pass to Malcolm Smith in Seattle, he ends up sealing the game with an interception in San Francisco. I mean, that's just that's just so cool to me. That's just really cool. But Darrell Revis coming back, it, it's just like, what are you thinking, man? Like, you're just sitting there, like you say, sitting there on his couch, like eating popcorn or whatever he's doing, and, and he's watching this, and he's like tweeting things out. And, bro, like, you had your time. You have a Super Bowl ring. You basically, basically were a hired gun for the Patriots, and you got your ring. Like, just sit down and be quiet. There's no doubting Darrell Revis's greatness within this game. I mean, it's like when you come back with that and you come back, like it's basically like, like you're an old man yelling at a cloud or something like that. Right. It's just such a, it's just such a bad look. And somebody else uh, in that same thread actually pointed out, uh, or they posted a picture of Marquise Goodman burning Darrell Revis for that. Eight. I'm not sure if you guys remember when Goodman was in Buffalo burned him for an 84 yard touchdown. And it wasn't even close. Like if you go and watch that on YouTube, like it's like Goodman hasn't beat by a good, like five yards. It's not even close. So to me, like I'm like, hey man, that's awesome. You're just stoking the flames of the fire that is Richard Sherman. And when you, when you get a pissed off Richard Sherman, a petty Richard Sherman, he's at his best, and that rubs off on the entire team. He is the vocal leader. If, if Quan Alexander is the heartbeat of this team, and George Kittle, if those guys are the heartbeat of this team, Richard Sherman is the vocal leader of this team, and they all follow his lead. And each guy has specific energy that he brings, like you know, Quan and and uh, Kittle bring the energy. Sherman brings that that calming sort of presence that that vocal calming presence right and he can fire his guys up in the snap of a finger so that's what he's going to do he's going to use this against against these people that are saying it as bulletin board material and to me the Niners when they're playing at that level when they're playing pissed off they're hard to beat they're really hard to beat yeah Sherman brings the chip on the shoulder yep this team as I would say he's the identity of this defense because mm-hmm. I think I think this defense overall kind of mimics his demeanor and his approach in that I'm going to take offense to every possible slight I can find. And I'm going to come out in each and every game to show that those slights were wrong. And I'm going to throw it in your face and I'm going to rub your nose in it when the game's over. That's the identity of this defense. And I know we're going to get into this more next week, but I just want to say, I like the fact that the Niners have some experience on the roster of guys that not only have been to a Super Bowl but have lost a Super Bowl. Obviously, Sherman has both, but I, I think it helps them because they're going to look to Sherman. A lot of the young guys are going to look to him to how to act over these next two weeks. 
And I think the fact that Sherman has both won and lost a Super Bowl is more valuable to the 49ers than a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, who's been through it, but he didn't play. You know, and Joe Staley, same way. Joe Staley has lost Super Bowl. He knows what it's like. He knows how hard it is to get there. I sort of like the negative experience they have, and obviously Kyle Shanahan too. I think that's going to come in handy over the next two weeks. Yeah, I think Garland as well. Garland and uh, Emmanuel Sanders as well has, has won, won one and lost one too. So I think that when it comes down to it, the the way that the defense is playing right now, again, they have all of their people back. Uh, everybody's healthy coming out of this game. Greenlaw had a Bosa roll up on his ankle, and it's just a little little sprain. He'll be fine. Uh, remember, this is like a bye week, right? This this two weeks is essentially like a bye week for these guys to get healthy. Tevin Coleman, who we have not touched on the injury, he had uh, dislocated his shoulder, and Kyle Shanahan uh, came out in the press conference on on Monday and said that he probably could have popped it back in and, and maybe have played this week if there's, if there was a game. So it was one of those situations where at the time it was really super painful, but uh, he expects actually expects him to have a good chance to play in the Super Bowl. So they came out of this game with, with minimal injuries and Quan Williams went down for a play. It looked like he was grabbing his hip or his side, but he was back in two plays later. So a little bumps and bruises, but they are a relatively healthy bunch going into again, the biggest game of the year. And I, I don't think you could ask for anything more. Yeah, and we'll know exactly where the injuries are next week when we record the real preview. We'll know how how far along Coleman really is, how likely it is that he will play. And from what I know of dislocated shoulders, it shouldn't be an issue. The only real risk is once, once it's dislocated, uh, I heard on the radio today, every second that it remains dislocated, makes it that much more likely to pop back out. So mm-hmm. the, the only real risk is is getting into the Super Bowl and him getting hit just right and it pops right back out. That's the risk. But there's no like true long-term risk of, oh, he's done now. He needs a major surgery. So he should be good to go. And like you said, all the other injuries at this point seem to have been minor, and the Niners should be fully healthy heading in. Were you guys surprised that we didn't see more Matt Breida in the game yesterday? Uh, because like you said, Coleman went down, Jeff Wilson wasn't active. You know, you think that you would want to give Reem a, a break, especially when he's running for seven yards every time he gets the ball. And we didn't really see Matt Breida. He was kind of MIA. No, I'm, I'm actually not because he had to. So I think it started with that Atlanta game and he had two fumbles in that game. He had one on uh, one at the end of the game or near the end of the game. Um, and, and it was super costly. And then he fumbled again. Um, in, in uh, the, the Minnesota game when they're trying to ice the game. So I think that Kyle Shanahan, he's one of those guys that seems like it's, it's kind of like Belichick esque where he'll have a certain level of patience with you. But then after that, if you, if you blow your shot, you're done. And I think Breed has kind of entered that territory where he's basically like, okay, you're only playing because we don't have bodies and Jeff Wilson is not active. Right. I, I think that, now Breed plays on special teams primarily, and he was the leading rusher last year. He had almost a thousand yards to see him go from that to basically like just like a role player who barely gets the ball. It's, it is startling, but there's a reason for it. And I think that Kyle Shanahan has very little patience for, for things like fumbling. So I'm, I would be surprised if I didn't know the backstory and how Kyle is, but knowing how Kyle approaches an offense in his roster and Breed does trouble holding out of the ball. I I'm, I'm not surprised at that. I think it was risk mitigation as well as going with the flow. It was, I think Brita would have been given a chance if needed, but Mostert was so effective, there's no reason to turn to him 
except for when Mostert was truly gassed. I mean, we saw at least once where he pulled himself out of the game because he was so gassed, and Breida did get a carry. But it was also risk mitigation. Why risk a fumble? Because from halftime, basically, when Mostert scored that touchdown right before halftime, and Niners went up 27-0, all the Niners truly needed to do was not make a terrible mistake. They needed to not turn the ball over on offense and have the defense not completely fall apart. So I think it was a little bit of risk mitigation of, unless I have to go to Brita, I'm not going to Brita because I don't want to risk that fumble and giving Green Bay momentum. I think when it comes down to it, uh, they know who their horses are and they know who, they, who they're going to go to in, in crunch time. Like Dante Pettis is another guy. Just he's suited up every week, just never sees the field. So I think that there's certain guys that they trust and certain guys that they don't trust. And because of a numbers game, they have to suit them up. But Kyle has the guys that that he has, and he has his or uh, go, going back to the Harbaugh days, quote unquote, trusted agents. And everybody else is basically just replaceable parts. So uh, it'd be interesting to see in, in the Super Bowl if Jeff Wilson gets activated, and, and we'll find out in the course of the next couple of weeks if that if that is the case. But really. I think that Kyle just, just wants the hot hand, right? Like we talked, I touched on it earlier. Right? Tevin Coleman was a hot hand last week and it was most this week. And we don't know who it's going to be in two weeks, but, but uh, whoever it is, is, is going to be rode pretty hard until the end. So I, I think that that's the uniqueness of a Kyle Shannon offense. It's something that the Patriots are famous for as well. They ride with the hot hand and it's, it's a winning strategy. So uh, with that being said, guys, speaking of the hot hand, let's talk some hot hands and give out some game balls. Um, I'll start and I'm going to go with uh, Nick Bosa and Bosa was such a disruptive force. He was so good. And his, his first NFC championship game ends with two sacks, uh, multiple stops and hurries. He was a, he was a pretty much a one man wrecking crew. He was good against the run, good against the pass. I, I can't say enough about how good this guy has been. And Jimmy sacrifices ACL and everything went down the way that it did last year starting against Kansas city and the end result was Nick Bosa. And I'm really, really happy with that. I'm, ha- I'm happy he's on our side. So Nick Bosa gets my game ball. Really looking forward to seeing how he performs in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes. Well, I think there's a really obvious one. I'm not going to use them because I think we need to draw attention to somebody who really hasn't been mentioned. I don't know if he's been mentioned all season on our podcast, but I think he's deserving of a game ball. And at this point, it's the right time to do it. You take I'm, my guy. I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> I might be. I don't know. I'm going to give it to Jed York because I think he's deserving of it. He mm-hmm. made the right decision. I mean, this franchise was in turmoil when what went down went down with Harbaugh and Balky and all that. And he studied the ship. He did what a great owner does. He hired the right guys at the right time and stepped out of the way. Well, we even saw that in the uh, post game where as soon as he was given that award, he said, I want none part of this here. It's yours. Cause he knew, you know, he's not wanting the limelight. And I do think he kind of learned from his mistakes in the hardball era. And I think he does deserve quite a bit of credit. I agree with you that he seems to have learned now. And I, I did notice the exact same thing that you noticed in that when he got the trophy, but I mean, he caused the turmoil. He got rid of Jim Har. He fired Jim Harbaugh and he hired Jim Tom Sula and then hired Chip Kelly. So, I mean, yeah, he, he seems to be better now, but he also didn't really have a choice to get out of the way. Cause he wasn't going to pay a third coach to not coach the team. Cause he was paying 
Tom Sula and he was paying Chip and then they had to bring in Kyle Shanahan. So I agree he's gotten better, but I, I, I don't know. I still have a bad taste in my mouth for those dark years after, after the Jim Harbaugh era. I mean, honestly, let's, let's, if they win the Super Bowl, if they win on February 2nd, I really don't care. Jed can say whatever he wants. Jed can walk around with his pants down. No, actually, maybe don't do that. But Jed can, Jed can do whatever he wants. And I won't care because all I care about is winning championships, right? Just get number six. I think he's done a really good job stepping out of the way. I, I agree with Levin. Like, that was a really cool moment uh, with both the Shanahan's getting the trophy. Uh, Kyle got a little emotional. That was awesome. Really, really cool. I agree with, Jed, with, uh, with Levin. By the way, speaking of Chip Kelly, thank you, Chip Kelly, because he's the one that brought Raheem Mostert onto the 49ers roster. That was mm-hmm. not Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. That was Chip Kelly. So thank you, Chip. Um, okay, this is weird because the 49ers ran for, what was it, 250 yards, basically? 285. 285 even more and dominated on the ground. I'm not going to give my game ball to the offensive line, and I'm not going to give my game ball to Raheem Mostert, and I'm not going to give the game ball to Kyle Shanahan. I'm going on the defensive side. I'm going to Emmanuel Mosley. I mean, this guy has come in. He has completely stabilized the biggest vulnerability on the 49ers defense. He played absolutely great yesterday. He had an, a beautiful interception of Aaron Rodgers. And the one weak link on this team, which we saw teams ex- trying to exploit, expressly trying to go at him, Minnesota, I'm looking at you, and he's played great. And if they don't have that weak link on the defense, like I don't know who's going to put up all these crazy numbers against them. So I, I, I got to say, now that we've done game balls, shout out to the kickers. Robbie Gold finally stepped up and earned his contract. He was, he was <laughs> he great in that game. When they were taking that long field goal early in the game, I was going, oh, is this how it starts? If you're going to miss yards. this, they're going to get great field goal, field position, and this is going to be, okay, a game on. And he made the long kick, and he was perfect in the game. So shout out to kickers. And the thing I loved about this, and I, I just love the way this team is so buttoned up, it's the first quarter. He's kicking in the, the worst end of the stadium, but he realizes the clock is running. He lets the time run out, so they flip the field, and he gets an easier kick now going the opposite way. And mm. I just love that, that this team is so locked in. Like That doesn't happen under Jim Tom Sula or Chip Kelly. They're, they're not worried about that. They're lucky they even get the friggin' field goal unit on the field. Oh, but, but they're too loose. They're too loose, according to Rodney Harrison. Too loose. <laughs> so, yeah, I just love that they were so buttoned up with just that little detail. And uh, I hope that Robbie still doesn't w- want to be traded to the Bears like he did earlier in the offseason. That was the longest field goal in 49ers playoff history, by the way. 54 yards. Drilled it. Yep, drilled it. And the, the field goal at the end of the game, I, at that point, I was like, okay, I know he's on. I know he's going to make this. And that basically put it out of reach, made it a 17-point game. But... Also, shout out to Kyle Shanahan for his game management. He knew he, he only needed a field goal at the end, and they didn't play for the touchdown. He knew exactly what he needed. They got down there. They ate up clock, kicked a field goal, and that was it. And that's, that's you're seeing changes in Kyle from the regular season. It's like a, a switch has flipped within him, and he's turned into this super uh, really efficient game-managing sort of coach, situational uh, guru, and he's totally changed from what we saw in the season for the better. And speaking of that, guys, I, I do want to take a few minutes before we get, on, get out of here to talk about how amazing this ride has been. We don't know what's going to happen, obviously, in the Super Bowl. We don't know what's going what's to transpire. But to be able to get uh, where they are today, they were underdogs against Cincinnati in week two, guys. We forget that. <laughs> oh, Isn't that ridiculous? 
they were underdogs. And for the most of the season, all we heard is like, oh, wait till they play the big boys. Wait till they play the Seahawks and the Packers and the, and the Ravens and the Saints and yada, yada, yada. But they passed every single test, almost every test with flying colors. It's been such an amazing ride. And we look back to those early September games and this the uncertainty that we had with this team. What's Jimmy going to look like? What's the defense going to do? Quan Alexander's coming off an ACL. Sherman, what type of Sherman are we going to get? You know, they handed out this big deal to D Ford and, and he's already having knee problems. And Nick Bosa has has injury history in college. Like, isn't it amazing where we've gotten in these past months? Like, it's it's crazy. I just want to, I'm going to tear up here a little bit. I just want to thank Al so much for stepping away because that was really the turning point. It was when <laughs> I joined the podcast and when Rob joined a few weeks later. That was the turning point. So I, I truly want to, from the bottom of my heart, thank Al for stepping away from the podcast. And speaking of Al, he had an absolutely great tweet that I'm going to read because it sort of encapsulates. You talked about the ride, Zane. Think about this decade for the 49ers, 2010 through the 2019 season. The 49ers have had five 10 loss seasons, four 10 win seasons, five head coaches, but they've made four NFC title games and two Super Bowls all in 10 years. That is the most extreme swings of, of quality from a team that I can remember in a single decade because the 49ers, when they've been good, they haven't just been good. They haven't just been make the playoffs good. They've been best team in the league, punch you in the face. We're going to the Super Bowl good. Mm. Now, unfortunately, when they've been bad, they've been a complete laughing stock and, you know, complete disaster. But in terms of, of as a 49er fan, the swings that we've gone through this decade, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And it's because it's funny because you mentioned that like when they're when they're down, they're really down. When they're great, they're really great. It's been stretches of that, like little windows of that. It's like, okay, like a three-year great window here followed by six years of crap. You know what I mean? It's like, it's been so such a roller coaster for them. And the way that they, that they lost those championship games and that Super Bowl, it's just, it's just in such heartbreaking fashion. But I have, I have a good feeling about this team. And I said, this is obviously before we knew how the playoffs would shake out and everything in the Seattle game was yet to happen. But the way that they've been so resilient this year and stepped up to every challenge, like I said, like there was a point where people were picking Kyle Allen, the Panthers to, to beat the 49ers. You guys remember that? And they proceeded to put 50 on them in the, the white throwbacks, by the way, which I hope that they would wear for the Super Bowl, but they're not. They can't. I know. They can't. But they, they were absolutely demolishing teams like Baker Mayfield. Like, oh, wait till they play the Browns on Monday night. Like, they're coming off of that really bad Pittsburgh game where they had five turnovers and barely won. And they're like, oh, wait till they play the Browns. Absolutely demolish them. And then it was like, oh, wait till they play Kyle Allen. Absolutely demolish the Panthers, who were four and one up at that point. And it just went on and on and on. And these guys were just stepping up to the plate constantly. Like it's been such a fun year for me. And I keep tweeting this out for every game because I don't know when it's going to end. And we know, obviously the season will end on February 2nd, no matter what now, but we're hoping that it ends with the win. But I've tweeted this out that before the first two playoff games, I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful for the, the, the job that this team has done. And this brought so much joy to me. The last five games of the season brought a lot of stress too, because they all went down last possession, but that the, fun that I've had watching football this year. It's, it's way more fun than the Harbaugh years for me, because I feel like this team is better than those teams. It's way more fun, obviously than losing. Like I'm, I'm so glad that the Niners are back where they are. I'm so thankful that they're, they're where they're at right now. And that's the overarching feeling for me. Let me, let me finish my thoughts this way. And I'm going to get a little preachy here because it's been running through my head all day. You know, we, we kind of touched on it there with how up and down the Niners decade has been. 
remember how quick it can turn. So enjoy this. You know, you got two weeks of Super Bowl festivities. You got a game, mm-hmm. and whenever you're listening to this, whether it's a week from from the game or or when this comes out, two weeks from the game, whenever it is, enjoy it because as great as this team seems, and as as long of a term of success they seem to be set up for with Lynch having three more years on his deal, Shanahan having three more years on his deal, all the key pieces being locked up for multiple years. It seems like the Niners are going to have this run of, of greatness and playing in these big games, but it can change quickly. And we saw that with the Harbaugh years. I mean, who would have thought when the Niners played in that Super Bowl, how quickly the tables would turn that, mm-hmm. Kaepernick wouldn't even be on this team when he's 30 years old. You know, mm. who would have guessed that? Nobody, none of the, no Niner fan would have thought that it would end that fast, that the ship would sink as fast as it did. I mean, it wasn't Titanic sinking. It, it was a little tugboat getting blown to smithereens sinking. It, it sunk mm. fast. So enjoy it because it can change in a heartbeat. And this Niners team, as great as they are, there's no guarantee they're going to be this great anytime in the future. I completely agree. And and especially like the, we talked about before, the armies of people on Twitter, you know, trying to make sure that the Niners get enough credit and who's saying this about this guy. And well, you said they weren't going to win this game and then they did. So now I'm going to retweet it and bring it up. Like, don't worry about that. I totally agree with what you guys are saying. They're in the Super Bowl. They have, in my opinion, the best, most complete team in the league. And it's just going to be fun for two weeks. And, you know, Hopefully they, they get the win at Super Bowl Sunday, but just enjoy the ride because, like you said, they do not come along often. One last thing for me because it's been running through my head as well. There's one song that fits what's happened this season, and I don't actually like the song, but I got to go here because I've literally had this line going through my mind a thousand times. It started from the bottom. Now we're here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it truly started from the bottom. <laughs> It did four and twelve last year. They're one of the only three teams in the history of the NFL to go from four wins one year to the Super Bowl the next. And I, I really like. I'm just. I spent the night. I was up late because I was. I was watching highlights. I was watching press conferences. I was watching the game highlights because to me it was unbelievable. Like I couldn't believe. Like after the game ended, like I was cheering and yelling and screaming. But after the game ended, I thought to myself, and I was just sitting there. I was eating dinner, and I was like, I can't believe they're in the Super Bowl again. Like so quickly, I didn't expect this to happen like this. Like I thought it would be like okay, I picked them to have eight wins before the season started. I, I was like, okay, have six. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like and Levin, Levin picked. He was the most optimistic. He had them at nine, and I thought it was going to be like a gradual climb. And like okay, like you know they're knocking on the door. And even the Harbaugh teams, like they got to a championship game before they got to a Super Bowl. Like we knew by 2012. Like okay, they're going. Like if they can stay healthy, they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Like this just happened out of nowhere. This just happened like we were completely blindsided by this. And I think that that adds to the fun and, and all the passion about all this. Like the, the Niners faithful showing up every Sunday, like and every Monday and every Thursday. No, it doesn't matter what night of the week it is. They showed up that place. When I heard all over the television, that place during that championship game was loud. Like Aaron Rodgers loves to go on hard, hard count. He could not do it because it was so loud. I mean, I never thought I'd see Levi's like that. And we're here now. It's just, it's to me, it's, it's so awesome. It gives me, I'm, I have goosebumps right now just talking about it because it is so awesome. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Cousins went to a silent count mm-hmm. in San Francisco. He didn't go to a silent count in the Superdome against the Saints, but he did in San Francisco, and that's because of the fans. I'll give you another song title. 
Everything is awesome. Love is quoting song titles now, so I think it's I think it's that time of night where we uh, call, call it a, call it a, a wrap here. So, um, guys, I'm so I'm so happy that we get to share this together. Like we're we're people don't know like we're I consider you guys to be friends, like obviously off the air, but we text each other all the time, like during games and stuff. We share our frustrations and and comments and stuff like that. And, I, and I'm really thankful that you guys are on this ride here. Uh, and, and decided to join the podcast and it's been awesome. And uh, we're going to have, we're going to have one more show next week for the 2019 season. It's going to be a Super Bowl preview and we're going to talk about all the matchups. We're going to talk about uh, any comments that are made to Richard Sherman that will possibly get him hyped up. We're going to give our picks and can't wait to discuss all of that with you guys. So for 11 black and Rob stats Guerrero, I am Zane Nackley and you have been listening to another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, your NFC champion, San Francisco 49ers. <laughs>